From the Love We're Finding studios in Memphis, Tennessee, I'm Byron Tyler here with Carrie Vaughn, the CEO of Love We're Finding. Carrie, today we're kicking off the final volume of our series, Foundations of Our Faith, and we tackle volumes one and two last year, but we're finishing up with volume three, and all of our friends listening to Love We're Finding can catch up at lwf.org or on the My LWF app, a great resource. Absolutely. Great series, 27 messages on how to walk through uncertain times. Uh, the subtitle is A Solid Word for an Unsure Age. You know, that's, that's us. That's exactly where we are today. And all these messages are from the Book of Romans. And we know that Adrian Rogers loved the Book of Romans. We have a framed picture of Romans 8 out of his Bible that we give to certain supporters of the ministry. Well, it reminds me of Adrian Rogers saying in one of his sermons that if he was ever stranded on a deserted island and could only have one book from the Bible, he would choose the book of Romans. I love the book of Romans. I I would uh, not begin to even suggest that I know all about the book of Romans or that I have ever preached and exhausted the book of Romans in my preaching, but I can tell you this much. If somehow I were shipwrecked on a desert island and I could only choose one book in the Bible to take with me, I just believe it would be the book of Romans. And now, having said that, I certainly would like to have the book of Psalms along with me, and I certainly would love to have the Gospels. But uh, in all seriousness, uh, Romans has been called the Constitution of Christianity. It's been called the Magna Carta of our faith. And it is a great, great book. It deals with the great themes of salvation and sanctification and service, all of these things in this wonderful book we call the Book of Romans. You know, Carrie, in that same conversation with Adrian Rogers, we asked why he felt the Book of Romans was so important. Well, this book starts out uh, dealing, first of all, with um, sin. It tells us what is wrong in the world. And and uh, Paul just kind of pins our ears back when he deals with this subject of sin, not only the sin of the of the pagan, but uh, the sin of the so-called religionist. And after he deals with sin, then when we're ready for salvation, he deals uh, with salvation. You know, no man is ready for Calvary until he is first trembled at Sinai. And so then he, he deals with uh, salvation. But then after we're saved, we need to move on and be better Christians. So then the great apostle Paul deals with sanctification. And then he gets very deep and very philosophical and deals with the mysteries of ordination and election and predestination, all of these things we would just call the sovereignty of God. And then he gets very practical and talks to us about spiritual gifts and service and uh, fellowship one with another. So you think of these themes, sin, salvation, sanctification, God's sovereignty, and then service. All of these are wrapped up in this book of uh, Romans. Well, as Adrian Rogers said, Kerry, he talks about sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty, and service. And it's all wrapped up in a message we're going to hear titled Salvation. Now, this is part one out of Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. And you know, all of this, we talk about sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty. All that is part of the ministry of Love Worth Finding. We introduce people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, mature them in their faith, 
and then teach other people to do the same. So this is really our DNA and who we are as a ministry. Well, you know, there are some people too, Kerry, that think that being saved is an old-fashioned concept, but really salvation continues to be man's greatest need. Amen. And, you know, for Adrian Rogers, that was really his mantra, right? Come to Jesus. Everything pointed to come to Jesus. With today's message, Salvation Part 1, here's Adrian Rogers. Of all of the needs that humanity has, what is the greatest need? Is it education? If it were education, when the Lord Jesus came to this earth, He would have come as an educator. Is it finance? If that is true, when the Lord Jesus came, He would have come as an economist, perhaps as a banker. Is it peace? Well, if that's true, Jesus would have come as a diplomat. But what is man's greatest need? Why did Jesus come? Well, we don't have to guess about it. Luke 19, 10, Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, salvation is man's greatest need. To be saved is man's greatest need. But do you know when I say that, I know having preached as long as I have preached that that falls flat to say that man needs to be saved. That's an old-fashioned word. It's almost out of vogue. It's out of date to be saved. Well, we've heard that before, haven't we? But there's coming a day when you're going to stand before God and the thing that's going to matter more than anything else in this world is this. Are you saved or are you lost? Look in God's Word here. Romans chapter 10, I begin in verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul's heartbeat, Paul's passion, Paul's prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, to everyone that believeth. Now, I just want to pause right there, and I want to talk about this salvation. And the very first thing I want to tell you about is the freeness of this salvation. It is absolutely, totally free. Now, most people who even think of salvation think that salvation roots in the merit of man. If you were to walk up and down the streets of this city or any city and ask people, are you going to heaven? They'll say, I hope so. And if you were to say, why? They would say, well, I'm trying to live as best I know how. They think that salvation is a reward for the righteous. But salvation is not a reward for the righteous. Salvation is a gift for the guilty. And if you don't understand that, are you never going to have salvation? Because Paul talks about his brothers in the flesh the Jewish nation, and he said, I bear them record. They have a zeal for God. They're very religious, very zealous, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. 
You see, that's when something good can become something bad if it keeps you from the best. There are many who are listening to me across the nation. You're going to go to hell not because you're a drunkard, <laughs> not because you're a thief, but because you never were. You think the gospel is for the harlot. You think the gospel is for the thief. You think the gospel is for the drunkard. Most of the people in America are egomaniacs strutting to hell, thinking they're too good to be damned, trusting in their own religion. The Apostle Paul was one of these. I want you to put in your margin this passage of Scripture. It's very insightful. Philippians 3, verses 4 through 7. Here's what the Apostle Paul said of himself. Now, I want you to listen to a very religious man talking. He says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Paul said, if you want to get in a bragging contest about who's a good boy, he said, uh, let me just tell you about myself. He said, uh, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He said, you ought to know my ancestors. You ought to know my lineage. You ought to know that I am a blue blood. As touching the law, a Pharisee. He said, you want to talk about accomplishments? I rose up in the ranks until I held the highest religious position in the nation. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. You talk about a man who practiced what he believed, I was the one. He says, touching righteousness, which is by the law, blameless. If you were to take the Ten Commandments, Paul would say, at least outwardly, I have kept every one of them. Uh, but that, notice verse 7. Here's the thing that I want you to see. But what things were gained to me, I counted but lost. Paul said, I, I'm going to take my heritage, my pedigree. I'm going to take my accomplishments. I'm going to take my zeal. I'm going to take my good old boyishness. And I'm going to take that from the positive side of the ledger, and I'm going to put it over here on the negative side of the ledger. He said, I'm going to count it as loss. I'm going to take my goodness, and I'm going to count it as badness, as loss. We say, Pastor, that doesn't make sense. How could you put striving to keep the Ten Commandments and be religious? How could you put all of that on the negative side? Now, Granted, it may not get him to heaven, but at least let's keep it over here on the positive side. No, he said, I count all these things but loss. Why? Because those were the things he was trusting in, and those were the things that were keeping him from the Lord. Well, let me illustrate this way. I was down in Florida one day. I had an engagement in South Florida. I had a wonderful flight. got off the plane in Tampa, and I was going over to Fort Lauderdale. And uh, so I rented an automobile, and they gave me a very nice car. I think it was an upgrade. I was so happy to have it. And the sun was shining. I turned on the stereo, and I got the most gorgeous music. Oh, it was beautiful. And violins and all of that playing, and I just turned up real loud, nobody in the car but myself. And then I got on this road. It was an incredible road, very little traffic. The sun was shining. The road was good. The car was beautiful. The music was glorious. And here I am on my way to something I look very forward to, just driving along, just so happy. And then after I had driven about two hours, I said, I ought to be there. I ought to be getting closer. This doesn't look familiar. Something is wrong. 
And I got to looking around and I said, where is the sun? Let me get myself oriented here. And then it dawned on me. I was going the wrong way. <laughs> I was on the wrong road. I was making good time on the wrong road. <laughs> and the good car and the music and all of these things that might be good were bad because they were taking me in the wrong direction. Now, folks, that's what religion is without the Lord. You see, the worst form of badness is human goodness if human goodness keeps you from salvation. Paul said the things I counted for gain, they were loss. They, he, he said, my, my brothers, my sisters, the Jews, according to the flesh, he said, I bear them record. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And they, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You see, then in verse 4 he says this, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. You see, there's the law. The law says do, and we can't. But the gospel says done. The law demands perfection, but only the gospel gives perfection in the Lord Jesus Christ. John Patton was a missionary in the South Sea Islands. And he was with a tribe that did not have a Bible. So he was translating the Bible into their language. It was a very laborious thing to do. They did not know the Bible, and he had to learn their language. And so he got to the word believe, trust. Christ is the end of the law. You're going to see it in verse 4, to everyone that believeth. He's saying, now what is the word for belief? So they gave him the word for intellectual belief, like I believe that two and two is four. He said, no, that's not the word I want. He said, I want the word for belief that means trust, confidence, reliance upon. And he kept asking, and they couldn't give him the word. He kept asking. He said, what is this word? What is this word? They couldn't understand him. He was in his hut. It was a sweltering day, and he was writing, and a native came in to the hut. The native had been running and he was just so tired, there was a chair there, and he just sat down in the chair like this. And Patton looked at him, and he said, what did you do? He said, I I'm sorry, I just sat down. No, 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 no. What did you do? Well, he said, I sat down. He said, but what do you call it? When you, just, when you just committed yourself completely, totally to that chair, what did you do? Oh, he said, that, faca ron rongo. He said, what? Faca ron rongo. That's the word he put in his Bible for reliance upon the Lord Jesus Christ. When you just say, Lord Jesus, I just cast myself upon you. Not intellectual belief, but Lord, here I am, Lord, I trust you. And, and you see, salvation is the gift of God. We're thinking now about the freeness of it. Don't miss my point, the freeness of it. There was a Baptist preacher who told a wonderful story. I can never get out of my heart. It was his own testimony. He said, I was doing things before I was saved that I ought not to have done. My eyes were watching things. My hands were handling things. My feet were going places that were all wrong. So he said, I went to the doctor to see if the doctor could help me. He said, the doctor I went to was named Dr. Law, Dr. Law. 
And I said, Dr. Law, I've got some problems, and uh, I, I want you to help me. I've got a hand problem. My hands are handling things they ought not to handle. And Dr. Law said, let me look here. He said, no, the problem is not your hands. The problem is your heart. He said, no, doctor, it's my hands. You trust me, it's your heart. He said, well, now, doctor, it's not just my hands, it's my eyes. My eyes have been looking at some things they ought not to look at. What's wrong with my eyes, doctor? He says, not, it's not your eyes, it's your heart. No, doctor, it's my eyes. No, it is your heart. Well, doctor, what about my feet? They're going places they ought not to go. I've got a foot problem. No, you've got a heart problem. Dr. Law, are you absolutely convinced that I have a heart problem? Yes. And furthermore, it's fatal. <laughs> You're going to die of your heart problem. Well, Dr. Law, can you cure me? Oh, no, I can't cure you. As a matter of fact, I don't cure anybody. All I do is diagnose. That's my job. I'm just here to diagnose. I cannot cure anybody. Well, and you say, I'm going to die? Is there no hope? Oh, no, there's hope. Well, where's my hope? Well, Dr. Grace, Dr. Grace, where, where is he? Can, uh, what, uh, can I find him? He's right across the hall. Well, do I, do I need to make an appointment? <laughs> no. Uh, just go knock on the door. He never turns away a patient. Oh, well, will it, will it cost a lot? No, <laughs> he has never charged a patient. So he leaves Dr. Law and he goes and knocks on Dr. Grace's door. There is Dr. Grace opens the door as a kindly physician standing there. He says, come in. How did you know to come? Well, Dr. Law told me I had a heart problem and you could help me. Can you help me? Yes, I can. Well, what medicine are you going to give me? I'm not going to give you any medicine. I'm going to give you a transplant. A what? I am going to give you a transplant. I am going to give you a new heart. Will it hurt? It might. <laughs> what will it cost? Not a thing in the world. And Dr. Grace opened my chest, he said, and reached in while I was still conscious and pulled out the most vile, filthy, stinking heart. I could not believe that such a thing had been in me, causing my eyes to do what they did, my hands to do what they did, my feet to do what they did. And then Dr. Grace put within me a new heart. And when he did, I felt a change of nature that went through me, that affected my eyes, my hands, my feet. You know, Dr. Law, friend, is the law of God. Dr. Grace, his name is Jesus. Jesus. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. What I need, what you need, what every mother's child in America and in the whole world needs is Dr. Grace and a brand new heart. Amen. Now, we're talking here about the freeness of salvation. But now here's the second thing I want you to see. I want you to see the nearness of salvation. Begin reading now in verse 6. Uh, but the righteousness which is by faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, <laughs> that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, that means near thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, 
and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, Paul wanted his brothers and sisters in the flesh, the Jews, to be saved, and he says, here's the way to do it. And he's saying to them, and he's saying to us, that if you want to be saved, salvation is very near. You may not dream how close you are today to being saved. Now, what is Paul saying? He said, you don't have to go on a pilgrimage. You don't have to go up into heaven and appear before the throne and say, God, we're a bunch of sinners down here and we're in a mess. Can you help us out? <laughs> Could you come down, Lord? You don't have to do that. Why? One Christmas 2,000 years ago, we already did that. Amen. He stepped out of heaven. Well, they nailed him to a cross and put him in a grave. But you don't have to go down and say, Lord Jesus, please come out of that grave. Please give victory over death, hell, sin, and the grave. Come out, please. You don't have to descend into the deep. He's already been raised. I mean, these are accomplished facts. The incarnation and the resurrection, sandwiched with the crucifixion, have already taken place. Let me tell you how close salvation is. Now listen carefully, you'll miss this. The word is nigh thee, even in your mouth and in your heart. You say, Pastor, that's silly. Now that's what Paul said. The word is so close. Let me tell you how close you are to being saved today. Let me tell you. If you're not saved, let me tell you how close you are to being saved. Jesus Christ and salvation already in your mouth, already in your heart. Now you say, now wait a minute. In my mouth? In my heart? How did it get in my mouth? How did it get in my heart? I just put it there. Well, you say, Adrian, how did you put it there? Listen, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, the word of faith which we preach. You see, what I did, I'm telling you right now that salvation is by grace, through faith. I have put this in your mouth and in your heart. It is there. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Well, then what do you do with what is in your mouth and in your heart? Listen, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I put it there. I told you what it is. It is there. It is waiting on you. Now, now, right now, you confess and believe. And God says, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. You don't have to bring Jesus down. He's come down. You don't have to bring Jesus up. He has come up. It is done. It is a finished thing. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And now it is ready for you so close you are. It is in your heart and in your mouth that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. <laughs> Friend, you'll be saved. That's not, that, that's not what I'm saying. It's what God has said. That means you will not go to hell. It means you will receive a new heart, a new nature. And one day you'll spend eternity with the redeemed of all of the ages. Now listen, what is the confession that you make? Confess him as Lord. Confess him as Lord. Do you know what that means? 
That means to take yourself off the throne of your life and put Jesus Christ upon the throne of your life. Salvation is not just some intellectual belief that you tack on. It is trusting the Lord Jesus. It is committing everything to the Lord Jesus. It is saying Jesus Christ is Lord. As you've listened to Pastor Rogers today, maybe you have questions regarding how to place your faith fully in what Jesus did for you. We'd love to offer an insightful resource on our website, the Find Answers page. If you go to lwf.org radio, you'll find resources and materials there that will answer questions you may have about your relationship with God. Thanks so much for studying with us in God's Word today. Make sure you sign up for daily heartbeat emails. They're really encouraging. You'll get daily devotions and message links sent straight to your inbox. You can find out more about that at lwf.org radio. And join us tomorrow for part two of Salvation, right here on Love Worth Finding.